Father God, I ask that you would just um, open our hearts and minds to what you have for us this morning, that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak, Father, and that is, we continue to look into the life of David, and this morning as we look into what it means to pray, Father, Lord, I ask that you would teach us about the nature of prayer, and Lord, I am so thankful that you are a God who hears our prayers, who listens to what we have to say, who cares about your people. Lord, I pray this morning that if any of us here or any of us listening this morning at this service or the next service, Lord, is struggling with what it means to talk to you, what it means to hear from you, what it means to be guided by you, that, Lord, that you would open yourself to them this week, that you would make it obvious that you are a God who speaks to us, that you are a God who leads his people, that you are a God who delights in answering prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So a man was charged with stealing a turkey, and he appeared in court. And he told the judge that stealing the turkey was an answer to prayer. And the judge was like, oh, really? How in the world was stealing a turkey an answer to prayer? Well, the guy came up, he stood up, and he said, well, judge, I'll tell you. I prayed and prayed and prayed for a turkey. And the turkey never came. And I prayed some more, and Thanksgiving night came. It was the day before, and turkey still didn't come. So I prayed to the Lord, send me out to find a turkey. And the Lord answered my prayer. Slow, come on, work on it. Perhaps not exactly what Jesus is teaching in our gospel passage this morning. But then again, prayer is a confusing topic for many of us. So many of us pray, and we aren't really sure what to pray about or how to go about it. Think about it. I see this so many times with Anglicans. I see it a lot with mainline denomination folks, and I see it with new believers. With Anglicans and with mainliners and, 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 and with Roman Catholics, with Eastern Orthodox folks, with anybody who prays liturgically, we've learned to come to church and we pray liturgy. And we think that we have to pray liturgically. And then we go home and we don't know how to pray independently. We don't know how to pray on our own. And we struggle with that. And so how do we pray on our own? In the second service, and sometimes here, I'll stop during prayers of the people, and I'll have us gather in groups of three. We haven't been able to do that as much during COVID. In the second service, we'll pray out loud, and we don't, won't do the liturgical prayers. When we pray in groups of three, a lot of people get nervous. Why in the world would we do that? And it's because they don't know how to pray. And why do we do that? To teach you how to pray. It turns out that Archbishop Cramner didn't want us to only pray liturgically. He was teaching us the rhythm and the nature of prayer. Liturgy has its purpose. It teaches us all how to pray. It educates and disciplines the young, as Martin Luther says. But it's not the only way we pray. It teaches us scripture. 
It teaches us what we believe, but it's not the only way we pray. Jesus doesn't pray liturgically, right? He prays. Now, there were times he went to the temple and prayed liturgically, but he prays to the Father. And if you read his prayers, David doesn't pray liturgically. There were times he did, but he prays to the Father. He prays independently. So how do you pray? A lot of people ask that question. How do you pray? And does God answer prayers? Now, I hear this a lot from Anglicans, too. Should I pray for myself? That's selfish. And does God even hear, hear prayers? He's so busy. Bette Midler sings the song, From a distance, the world looks perfect is her whole point. From a distance, everything seems fine. Her version of God, if you listen to it, is God is so far away from us that he can't really know what's going on. By the way, she's not the first. Thomas Jefferson thought, he was a deist, that God was too big to notice what was going on. Jefferson's not alone in that. He got that from the Greeks. That's been an old thought. God is too distant to really know what's going on. And some people are scared to ask the Lord in prayer for specific things. Because what does it mean if he doesn't answer? Is God real? Is that you? What if he doesn't answer? Some don't want to bother him because we're too polite. What if God isn't concerned about us? Well, let me ask you this. What if God is concerned about you? If so, perhaps when we think that God is too busy or he's incapable of handling all of these concerns, the problem lies in our understanding of God. Maybe we think God is too small and too powerless. Maybe that's the problem. So what's the truth? How are we called to pray to the Lord? Well, let's look at that this morning. As we look at our gospel passage and we look at our first Samuel passage and continue our series in first Samuel. Well, our gospel passage opens in Luke 11, 5 through 8. Jesus says this, And Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? Who goes to a friend at midnight? I have a friend who goes to me at midnight all the time and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence... He will arise and get him whatever he needs. Now, Jesus tells a story or a parable or an example. Now, this is always kind of a tricky one for me. I don't know which one we can call this, but whatever it is, he gives this example. Now, this is a guy who is knocking late at night. Have you, do you have a good friend, a really close friend? If this friend, and this is such a close friend that if he came knocking at midnight, you don't want to lose this friendship, but he would bother you or she would bother you. Bang, 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 I need something. And what's going to happen? You're going to get up late at night and say, dude, or lady, or whatever. I'm sleeping. Get away. The kids are in bed. What are you doing? And that's what he's saying. That's what Jesus is describing. Get away from me. I really need it. 
I really need this thing. I really need it. I really need it. I'm going to bed. I'm sleepy. So you go back. Bang, 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 bang. No, I need it. Please, 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 please. What are you going to do? We don't want to end the friendship, and you're finally like, okay, okay, okay. I got the bread. Here you go. Leave me alone. That's what Jesus is describing. He says, if you who are imperfect are going to do that, how much more is your Father in heaven who loves you perfectly going to answer your prayers when you really need something because the Lord isn't in bed sleeping at midnight? He isn't tired. He doesn't get fatigued. This isn't who he is. And if, if you're like this with your best friend, how is the Lord above who sent his son to die for you, whose Holy Spirit lives within you, how is that God going to function? How's it going to work? Is he going to answer your prayer? And that's what Jesus says. Now, when I say answer your prayers, understand, because a lot of people have this understanding of who God is. The health and wealth gospel says, oh yeah, so then you can answer, ask the Lord anything, right? They don't read the rest of this verse. The Lord will give us anything. Ah, well then I can ask for all kinds of things. Well, they don't read a 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and receives, the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I mean, who among you would do that? Mommy, I want to have a cookie. Here is a rattlesnake. Mommy, I want to have a hamburger. Here is a scorpion. Who does that? Right? Shelly, does your mom do that? No. Victoria, has your mom ever done that? Well, surely your dad has, right? Has he done that? No? Never done that. Nobody does that. So why would your father in heaven do that? That's the question. See, some people have this understanding of the Lord is always out to get them. God is punishing me. Now, last week I mentioned that. Sometimes the Lord does punish. Sometimes we have to understand that, right? I've been cheating on my spouse constantly, and I get caught. There may be punishment. I can't not expect that to happen. But that doesn't mean that every time a bad thing happens, I'm being punished, right? It's usually the person that is getting punished that screams, I don't deserve it, and the person that isn't that thinks they are. <laughs> but it goes on like this. If you then, who are evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you Ferraris and money and big houses if you ask him? Right? It says that clearly right there in Scripture, doesn't it? Is that what it says, Shelley? It says Ferrari. 
it says toys and all you want, right? Wait, everyone's shaking their head. What does it say? What does it say? Oh, the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It appears that there's a certain caveat to that prayer that my health and wealth friends don't quite get. See, a lot of people, when they pray to the Lord, expect a Santa Claus. He gives you what you need. When you ask for bread, that's something you need. When you ask for food, that's something you need. He gives you that which you need like we parents do. We don't always give our kids that which they want. We give that which they need. When we pray in the Lord's will, he wants to answer. Now, sometimes the Lord says yes, maybe, and no. A lot of times I'll say, the Lord never answers my prayer. I'll heal that all the time. And I'm like, are you sure, brother or sister? Are you sure he hasn't said no? We don't like no. Nobody likes to hear no. But sometimes that's the answer. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes the answer is, I gave you the answer. It was this. You didn't want to hear it. But the Lord says here, I gave my Holy Spirit. It's a different thing. We don't want to hear that. He's not here to make you wealthy. Here's how we know this. Here's the question. Which of the disciples was wealthy? How much money did Jesus die with? Which of the disciples died rich, happy, and wealthy? They may have died joyfully, but which one didn't get martyred? There was one that we know of, John. And he was imprisoned for most of his life. If the apostles went that way, could it be possible that God doesn't live to make you wealthy? That there are other things we live for. Well, in 2 Samuel 15, 31 to 34, we read, And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and his dirt on his head and dirt on his head. And David said to him, If you go with me, you will be a burden to me. If you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so I will be your servant, and then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. So in the midst of David's darkest hour, he fires up a prayer to the Lord about Ahithophel. This is before our account this morning, what we read. This is David's darkest hour. He was leaving Jerusalem. He's fleeing when his son has betrayed him. Everything looks bleak, and David fires up this prayer. Confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. Now, a lot of us would expect when David makes a prayer, he wants to defeat Absalom, that something miraculous would, ha- would happen. And right away, Hushai the Archite comes into his life. Right away, Hushai the Archite comes and says, David, 
please, I want to go with you. He's pouring ash on his head. It's a sign of mourning. I love you. I want to be with you. And what does David say? He says, go be with Absalom because he knows this man is going to befriend Absalom. Absalom's going to trust him. And he says, what? Confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. Lie. Be my spy. Ooh, that's a, is that godly? Is it godly to be a false, like give false testimony, to kind of like lie and be a spy? Is that godly? Isn't it godly? Who says that's godly? Who says that isn't godly? So a couple people say it's godly. A couple people say it isn't godly. All right, let's see if this is going to be godly or not. This is very, this is very confusing. See, we're always looking for answers to prayer in miraculous ways, ways that would seem super obvious to hear. Now here, David's answers comes in the form of a man who will hatch a plot to lead Absalom down a foolish path. Now, 2 Samuel 11 to 12. My counsel is that all Israel will be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba. as the sand by the sea for a multitude. And you will go to battle. You will go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found. And we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him, all the men with him, not one will be left. See, Ahithophel said, here, I'm going to send a hit man or a hit team. They're going to find David and they're going to kill him. Hushai says, no, I'm going to send an army and the army is going to fight David's army. Here's the deal. Hushai knows that David is a master tactician and his men are awesome. And that most likely, if an army fights an army, David is going to win. Ahithophel knows this, and if he sent a hitman, they could probably kill him and win the war. Hushai deceives, and he knows what's right to do. He confuses him. So is this a right tactic? Shouldn't Ahithophel just say, hey, man, I'm going to be honest with you. That tactic is awesome. I don't want you to do it because I'm a spy for David. Isn't that the right thing to do? And shouldn't he just trust the Lord? A lot of Christians, especially if you're a black and white Christian, like this is right and this is wrong, would say that is the right thing to do. That kind of Christian could never be in the CIA. You can never go undercover for the police. You can never work undercover for the FBI. Why? Because they would ask you, are you a spy? And you would say, yes, I am. <laughs> it gets worse. Then the Lord will lead me to a woman. The Lord leads the men to a woman in our chapter. See, what happens is Hushai has arranged this, and David has arranged it, and they send word to two men. And these two men are supposed to go tell David. And the two men, as they're trying to run, uh, Absalom's men are so fast that they come upon these two men. So they come to a woman in a chapter who covers up two of David's men, and they lie to Absalom's men who are leading them and leads them in a different direction. We read this in 2 Samuel 17, 19-20. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They've gone over to the brook of water. And they had sought and could not find them, and they returned to Jerusalem. This is also really irritating to many strong believers. If you believe in black and white, right and wrong, this woman lied. Shouldn't she have said, they're right here in the well? Right? I've had this debate even in seminary. 
Many people believe she should have said it. And what would have happened if she had said it? If she, they believe, if they're a black and white believer, right, if right and wrong, that the Lord would have done some miracle and maybe a wind would have come down and taken those men away or somebody would have run along and killed those men or those men would have jumped out and killed everybody, something would have happened. They believe Hushai should have just said what he said and been honest and something would have happened. They believe that if David prayed, an army of angels would have come down and swept them away. They're the kind of people who believe that what? If you were hiding Jews in the basement, because I just had this talk with Christians a few weeks ago, we were kind of debating this, what would you do if Jews were in your basement or in your attic and the Nazis came and said, are you hiding Jews? I ask this question all the time. And a lot of Christians will say, well, sorry to say this or that. Okay, you're trying to misdirect them, but you can't misdirect them. The question comes, you can't get out of it. Do you say they're in the basement or do you lie? What would you say? There is no way out of it. There is no way out of it. Don't try to obfuscate. Big word for trying to get out of it. What would you say? They're in the basement and get them killed? Or lie and they go their other way? See, if you see things as clearly right and wrong, with no room for murky or gray, the Old Testament, well, it's going to spin you around in knots. And so is Jesus, by the way. Now, you'll have all sorts of clever defenses for that, but in the Old Testament, your main defense is going to be to turn the page. And here, notice the woman, gasp, lies. So is it a sin? Hushai the archite gives false advice, also a lie. Is it a sin? Well, some Christians would say it is. But here's the thing. That's not what Scripture says. You see, what the Bible says is this, 2 Samuel 17, 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord, Yahweh, had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. What? How is this possible? Let's just turn the page and end the sermon there. That's just confusing. Let's go to another passage. I told you the Bible is challenging. So the Lord brings Hushai to David, and his plan is blessed by the Lord. He provides the woman to hide his men at the well and save their lives. This also happens with Rahab, by the way. It appears that our God isn't so black and white, and that our understanding of right and wrong, it's sometimes childish, and we as Christians, we need to avoid it. There is a higher good. Saving men's lives and stopping a wicked thing is the higher good. In Nazi Germany, saving the lives of Jews from being exterminated in the death camps was the right thing. Lying was the right thing. You see, lying 
in Scripture is the attempt to tell a falsehood, to manipulate yourself or another for a sinful purpose. A sinful purpose. Here the deception is for a holy purpose. Saving the life of good men from a wicked king out to murder them. Saving the life of Jews or gypsies or whoever hiding in your basement from people out to do incredible evil to them. Right? That's why a, a spy or, or an FBI agent or somebody in a drug cartel, they're doing good things mostly sometimes. Now, don't play with that lie too much because you can justify it. If you find yourself justifying the lie, well, I need to steal this cookie because in the right way, that's not justifying. You're saving a life. There are certain things. Rahab does the same thing in the book of Joshua, and she's praised for it. So David's prayers are answered because he's a man of God. God loves his people. And he cares about us. It's shocking. David is a man of consequence in Scripture. And so we might say, well, David's prayers are answered, but my prayers won't be answered. But he's also a messed up guy, more messed up than most of us. His sins are worse than most of us. Most of us are not going to have an affair with someone else and then have that person murdered, right? And yet David's still called a man of God. This passage, what it really shows us is kind of a bird's eye view of how God answers prayer. Because we see that God's prayer is answered through a person, Hushai the Archite. And we don't see how it quite answered. David can't see that. So we're getting a view of how God answers prayer through Hushai the Archite, through these two men who are running, and through this woman at the well. None of these things David sees. We're seeing from a bird's eye view, from God's eyes, how this, all this prayer works together. So when you're praying and God's answering prayers, there are so many things that are going into answered prayers that we don't understand. How many times have you prayed for a thing, that prayer was answered, and you're like, I don't see God answering my prayers. But he is. In so many ways that you don't see, because you're too small to understand. And when God answers prayers, you need to do this. Thank you that the God of the universe would deign to answer my prayers. When's the last time you did that? When is the last time you thanked our Father in heaven for answering your prayers? He answers your prayers because he loves you. He wants to hear your prayers. Look, his Holy Spirit indwells you. He knows what you need before you ask. Jesus repeatedly tells you to pray to the Father. He repeatedly tells you to communicate with him. Your Father loves you. Your Father indwells you. He wants to hear from you. Pray. Pray in the Lord. Pray for the world. Pray for people's salvation. Pray that you'll become more like him. Pray that you will make a difference in this world for Jesus. Pray for the needs of the world. Pray for your needs in Christ. Pray that you, as you become more and more like him, will begin to pray. More and more. That you'll become a person of prayer. 
Less and less self-centered. More and more about others. More and more about the gospel. Watch yourself be transformed. Keep a prayer journal. I've done this, and I've told you about it before. You will be amazed if you just mark down what you've been praying for and flip through it over the last couple months or years. You will be amazed at how many prayers God has answered that you have forgotten about. You'll be astonished, I promise. Our God is amazing. He loves you. He wants to hear those prayers. Take some time this week to begin praying. Just commit five minutes every day to praying. Five minutes a day. See how much difference that makes in your life. Amen.